Good afternoon. Good afternoon and welcome to a public meeting of the Evangelical Union here at Sydney University. Uh, my name is Phil Ng and I'm the current president of the EU. Uh, and I'd like to extend a particularly warm welcome to you if you're here for the first time or uh, for the first few times. And can I draw your attention to the comment cards that you'll find in your little handout, little leaflet things? Uh, can I encourage you to fill these in? Um, Andrew will be talking to us today. It's a great thing to hear feedback. We love to hear what you think. Uh, even if you're a regular EUA, it'd be fantastic if you could fill these in uh, and let us know what you're, what you're thinking, uh, what you think uh, would be good to comment on. Uh, can I also mention that today is our IFES Giving Day. Uh, IFES is the International Fellowship of Evangelical Students, which is an umbrella body that, uh, there's an umbrella body for evangelical student groups all around the world. Uh, and this, today is our opportunity to give to this ministry uh, through the envelopes that you'll find in your, in your leaflets. Uh, you, you can also read a little bit about them from the IFES brochure. Um, they're having a specific focus on mission uh, for this next little while. Uh, just as we're focused on mission, the IFES, our umbrella body, is also focused on proclaiming Christ as Lord. Uh, Dick Dowsett, uh, if you turn over your handouts, you'll, you'll find a photo of him on the back. Uh, that was a shout of joy, I hear. Uh, he, apparently he's a fantastic speaker. Uh, he's going to be speaking on China and the challenge of mission there. Uh, and so I would encourage you all to go along to that meeting. It's Thursday, 1pm at Wentworth. Uh, the final thing uh, before Andrew comes and speaks to us is that registrations for Club Veg and NTE are open at, at afternoon tea this afternoon. And so, Mr. Martin Feltham, an NTE veteran, come on down. <laughs> Marty, who are you? What do you do? Um, I'm Marty, fourth year commerce law. Fantastic. Uh, have you been on NTE before? Um, I have. <laughs> um, as you alluded to, I've gone for the last three years. Um, uh, what do you think? What's your, what are your impressions of, of National Training Event? What do you think? Um, I, I rate NTE really highly. Um, I went along in first year. I'd only been a Christian for a little over a year. Never been on a mission or anything like that before. And it was um, really helpful and formative. They give you four and a half days of training. And um, yeah, so you get to train in how to do things like give your testimony, like explain how you became a Christian. Um, and in how to explain the gospel to others. And then you get to go on a mission for four and a half days and kind of put into practice the things that you learn. Um, and you're in a kind of somewhat safe environment because you've got people like Cat A and um, Mike Kwan and Murray and stuff as team leaders looking out for you. But you're still being pushed to do new things. Um, and there's a lot of opportunities to be pushed. Um, and so you get to preach the gospel and you get to um, build really good relationships with the team. You're on a little mission team it's of, of other EUers. There'd be like a dozen of you and you hang out for like four or five days, um, get to know them really well and that's one of the highlights of it too. That's fantastic. Thanks, Marty. And it'll change your life. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so take it from Marty's lips, take it from my lips, take it from the lips of the people that have been and are around you now. Um, NTE and Club Veg are worth going on uh, and they're worth registering for this afternoon. Uh, if you'd like to open your Bibles now, uh, Andrew Cade is going to come and speak to us from 1, Corinth 1 Corinthians 12. Um, if you have a Bible, have a look around you. If there's someone without a Bible, feel free to share it with them. 
uh, unless you're a selfish person. No, uh, it's, a, it's a worthwhile thing to share it with them. Uh, let me say there's nothing safe whatsoever about going on a mission with Michael Kwan. Uh, I'm uh, not Ian Powell, I'm both uh, skinnier and taller than Ian, so I'm sorry that he's uh, on holidays, um, uh, and so I'm just filling in for him. Um, uh, if you were here last week, you heard the foundation of this series, actually, which is 1 Corinthians 13. It's the key chapter which is wedged between two other chapters, 12 and 14, about spiritual gifts, and we're going to be talking about uh, spiritual gifts their use and non-abuse. Um, uh, I want to begin by talking about the longing for belonging. The longing for belonging. Uh, when I started high school, I was new. Um, of course, most people were at that point in time. We were starting high school. And some of the cool guys in the class that I was in uh, started this little gang. And, and I wanted to be part of it. I, 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 was, I really wanted to be part of it. I mean, I belonged to the school, my parents paid the fees, and I went to classes being a responsible eldest child and all that kind of thing. But I really wanted to feel like I belonged, and particularly to this group. The thing is, you see, they had an initiation rite. And uh, the initiation rite was that they had a certain logo um, or mark that you had to carve into the flesh of your forearm. Okay, so you can imagine how I spent my first form or year seven maths classes with my compass just sitting there drawing blood. And in fact, the scar is still there to prove it. Um, belonging is pretty crucial, isn't it? It's pretty crucial for Christian groups as well. Uh, we all want to belong and feel like we belong, really belong, to know that we belong. And I suspect that most Christian groups develop their own code or tattoo that indicates that you're one of those who are really in or not one of those who are really in. Uh, as I said, we're continuing this series on 1 Corinthians. We've started at the beginning of the semester and we're working our way right through the whole book. And last week saw the preeminence of love, 1 Corinthians 13, which is not a, a happy little marriage text at all. It's a sharp, pointy poke in the eye to the Corinthians saying, get it together. Um, and th those Corinthians really needed to hear that message of 1 Corinthians 13 because they were into something pretty much like my immature school friends and me were uh, back all those years ago. They are into evaluating each other and in particular evaluating each other on the basis how, of how spiritual the other was. And they measured spirituality according to giftedness. Okay, so they're into evaluating each other on the basis of how spiritual they were and measured that spirituality according to giftedness. For them, giftedness determined whether someone was in touch with God, whether someone had the Spirit of God at work in their lives. And they kind of enforced an ecclesiastical apartheid so that only those who were spiritual, which you could measure according to their giftedness, only those who were spiritual were acceptable and really belonged and knew that they belonged. And of course, what happens in that kind of a situation is that pretty soon a particular set of gifts get selected as the key indicators. At the youth fellowship that I went to when I was first a Christian, 
Um, we'd occasionally be in a Bible study and the question of giftedness would come up and the leader would helpfully get people to say what gifts we thought we all had. Uh, as far as I could tell by observing this over a number of Bible studies, there really were only two gifts uh, available. One was teaching and the other one was encouragement. Either you had the gift of teaching, which was the greater of the two gifts, or you had the gift of encouragement, which was at least something, or you didn't have any gifts, in which case you were a loser. You knew it, and what's more, everyone else knew it. And eventually you dropped out of the fellowship because there was no real place for you because what mattered was your giftedness. Well, in Corinth, it seems that they majored on speaking in tongues and prophecy as the litmus tests, the gift tests for who was spiritual and so whether or not they cut it. And, of course, that whole matrix, that whole kind of way of thinking is a disaster. Which is why the Apostle writes to them and makes two basic points. First, he says, if it's salvation by grace, if it's salvation by grace, if the way we're right with God is according to his grace, then it is church by grace too. If we belong to God by grace, then we jolly well belong to each other by grace as well. And in this case, it's not church by works, the works of giftedness. And secondly, with that in place, once you've got that firmly in place, then you can start talking about the helpful and constructive use of gifts in the life of the church. We're going to race through the first point, which is under there in your heading, who is spiritual and how, and spend most of our time on the second point. You see what he says in verses 1 and 2. Now concerning spiritual gifts, or probably more literally it is just spiritual things or spiritual people or the spirituals, kind of covers both gifts and people. You want to know who's spiritual? Well, concerning spirituals, Brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were enticed and led astray to idols that could not speak. Uh, as you know, Paul responds to a number of items that the Corinthians wrote to him about um, in this letter, particularly the second half of 1 Corinthians. Now, the whole question of temples and idols and sacrifices to those idols, which we looked at last term, chapters 8 to 10, is one of the questions they asked him about. And likewise, the question of spiritual things, spiritual gifts, spiritual people was one of those questions. And he says he doesn't want them to be ignorant about that. And they certainly were ignorant about such matters, given their background in pagan idolatries when they were enticed and led astray. So now he says, verse 3, Therefore I want you to understand that no one speaking by the Spirit of God ever says, let Jesus be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Right up front, what Paul tells them is that if they want to know who has the Spirit of God, if they want to know who are those who are truly spiritual, who cut it in the community, then it's simple and it has nothing whatsoever to do with giftedness. Rather, no one will curse Jesus if they're speaking by the Spirit, and what's more, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by that same Spirit of God at work in their lives. They are spiritual. Of course, not simply mouthing the words Jesus is Lord, but saying them with conviction in the heart. You get the point here, don't you? The reason he says the only way you can say that someone is worthy of exclusion is if they say Jesus be cursed. Now, that, that's a radical kind of comment for a Christian to make. I don't know if it struck you that that's not a common thing that Christians say. Jesus be cursed. Hands up all those... Oh, no, don't do that. 
Do you know what I mean? The, the, the basis for excluding someone as unspiritual is so way out, is so wacky, that you never have the right to do so within a Christian community and a group of Christians. And therefore, you'd better make sure that you include everyone. Because everyone who names Jesus as Lord is a spiritual person. You can't do that except that the Spirit of God is working powerfully in your life. Now, just in case I missed the point, he repeats it in verses 12 to 14 using a metaphor which then provides a kind of bridge into the second half of the chapter. Verse 12, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in the one Spirit we were all baptised into the one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one Spirit. Indeed, the body does not consist of one member, but of many. It says it, it, it's like a body. You know, you've got a body, and, and to your body there are lots of different bits. Okay? And you've got lots of different bits. But having different bits on your body, and I'm wagging a few of them around at the moment, having different bits of your body doesn't make it several bodies. There's only one body, just lots of different bits, lots of different members. And he says, just as it is with a body, so it is with Christ. You're ex- what were you expecting him to say there? Just as it is with the body, so it is with the church. Or so it is with the Christian community. But Paul takes it one step further and says, so it is with Christ. And let's you make the mental adjustment. You see, to be in Christ is to be in his body. And to be in his body is to be in Christ. The two go together. And what God has brought together like that, you have no right. You have no right to try and put asunder. You have no right to exclude. You see, you're in Christ by grace, so you're in the body by grace. 4 verse 13, In the one spirit we were all baptised into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, those classic means of discrimination, Jew or Greek, slave or free, those great social divides of the ancient world. He says, whatever you were, whatever you were, implicitly of course, however gifted you are or aren't, we're all baptised in a one body in the one spirit and we're all made to drink of the one spirit. It's kind of a complex verse, but the thought I think is clear. You want to know who the spiritual ones are? It's got nothing to do with giftedness. We're all spiritual as Christians. Since in the one spirit, we're baptised into the one body and made to drink of the one spirit. You want to evaluate other people's spirituality? Well, they say Jesus is Lord and they're every bit as spiritual as you are. You get down on your own spirituality, you name Jesus Lord, guess what? The Spirit of God is at work in your life in the most powerful way possible. Bring you from darkness to light. Now the idea of this baptism thing, in case that's kind of uh, got you a bit confused, is that that's the way in those days that people became Christians. They got baptised and it's still a good thing to do. Um, Typically, I guess today, we might have a mission sort of context or an evangelistic meeting, an outreach meeting, opportunity week, and, you, and the, the speaker will get the person to pray a prayer or, or to tick a box or on a piece of paper or something like that. But they got baptised. And it's, a, it's an important metaphor, actually, because uh, not only from the Apostle Paul, but Jesus uses it as well. Um, it's a spatial metaphor, you see. You get baptised into the body. Into the body. 
it's it's like it's it's like a a, a pool. There's the pool. The pool is called Jesus Christ, and you get baptized into the pool of Jesus. And and I, and I get baptized into the pool as well. And 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 someone other put. And what happens when we're all baptized into the pool of Jesus? Guess what? We're all swimming around together, having fun in the sun. You know that kind of thing. It's summer coming up. We're all in the body. If you're in Christ, you're in the body. And don't you dare start excluding people, me or others or me, exclude. Nothing like that can go on. If you're in Christ, you're together in the body. One pool, many swimmers. That's my footnote. And he kind of starts to use this, uh, this metaphor, verse 14. Indeed, the body does not consist of one member, but of many. And that's where, having got this in place, the question of giftedness can now fit in. You see, when you measure spirituality by giftedness, uh, it tends towards a monochrome range. I, I mentioned that. In the example from my own times in youth fellowship, it was teaching and encouragement. They become the litmus test. And, and uniformity, uniformity is encouraged or even enforced. Paul says, on the contrary, there's a variety of gifts. There's, there's a huge diversity of ministries. There's a multiplicity of activities, but it's the same God, the God of the common Christian confession, who stands behind all of them. And so you see, again, there's no way that you can simply pick or choose one or other of them as the litmus test of anything. You see it in verses 4 to 6. Now there are varieties of, of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of services, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who activates all of them in everyone. Far from uniformity, what God is into is diversity. That's why there are about seven million different types of beetles, right? What God loves is diversity. And there, as many beetles as there are, there are gifts too. Many gifts, vast varieties of them, and services and activities. And the truly spiritual person can be gifted in all sorts of ways, since all of these different gifts are activated by one and the same Spirit. All of them in everyone. Whatever gift a Christian person has, all of that is spiritual, since each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit. And so he gives some examples, verses 7 to 11. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom. To another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. To another gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another the working of miracles. To another prophecy. To another discernment of spirits. To another various kinds of tongues. To another the interpretation of tongues. Vast range of gifts. All of these are activated by the one and the same Spirit who allots to each one individually just as the Spirit chooses. Now, it would be worthwhile to do, but time prevents us from going through each of those gifts specifically. Uh, all I want to say at the moment is that they seem to be mentioned in the light of the Corinthian situation because it was these gifts particularly that were causing the problems, or at least the Corinthians' attitude to these gifts. Let me say, though, there doesn't seem to be any particular significance in this list of gifts, these nine in particular, since when he gets around to another list of gifts 
in the end of the chapter, of these nine, only four of them are mentioned again. So there's nothing particularly significant or crucial about this bunch of gifts. In fact, the whole purpose of this section is to stress diversity and variety. And so to insist on a particular bunch of gifts as kind of the mark of a spiritual church, to insist on this group of gifts or to complain that a certain Christian group or church doesn't exercise a particular group of gifts, you understand, of course, that, that's to miss the whole point of the paragraph. The whole point of the paragraph is not to say, here's the defining spiritual list of Christian gifts. The point of the paragraph is to say, diversity, variety, multiplicity. Three things, however, Paul stresses. And uh, these are a dig at the Corinthians' giftedness posturing. Firstly, to each is given, he says. To each is given. Now, I don't want to press this too hard, but what Paul says here is that each person is given the manifestation of the Spirit. And the implication of this is, for you personally, it simply is not true that you don't have a contribution to make. You do, because as you confess Jesus as Lord, that's the Spirit working in you. And the Spirit also works in you to manifest himself in giftedness. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit. Secondly, these gifts are given for a quite specific purpose. Self-aggrandizement, albeit in a kind of self-effacing way. Is that right? No, of course not. They're given, says the Apostle, for the common good. For the common good. Not for the individual's good, but for the common good. Mate, this, this is just so crucial. If, if we could only get hold of the fact, grab hold tightly of the fact that the way you are gifted is for our good, the way I am gifted is for your benefit, I think things would change a lot. What, what this means is that if, if when you open your mouth to explain things and people understand it, then use that gift of teaching for the common good. If you're the kind of person that unbelievers always seem to ask questions of, then get on and use your gift of evangelism. If you hate mess and disorganisation, if you're the kind of person that walks into other people's houses and starts tidying up, you know, you go into your friend's study and start moving papers together and collecting things, if you, if you just hate mess, right, then get into a place where you can use that gift of administration. If you're the kind of person that people open up to, you know, you barely get through a day without three people crying in your presence, there's tears. Actually, quite a lot of people cried with me, but I'm not... Yeah. <laughs> well, get on with using your gift of encouragement. If when you take the initiative, people seem to follow. Well, get on with using your gift of leadership. All of these gifts you get it are not for you. They're not for your benefit. They're not for your good. They're not there to make you rich. Though, though of course given the kind of way things work, if you want to, you can take your gifts and use them and you can do pretty well out of them. But why are they given? They're given for the common good. So get on with it. Get on with it. Third, and notice this is just important, the way you are gifted and the way everyone else is gifted is precisely the way God wants it. Verse 11. All these are activated by one and the same Spirit who allots to each one individually just as the Spirit chooses. 
Okay, that, 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 that's about as emphatic as you could get, isn't it? All of them are activated by the one and the same Spirit who allots to each one individually just as the Spirit chooses. Um, this is really big and forms, I think, one of the major things that Paul wants to say in the rest of the passage where what he does is apply um, his metaphor of the body. Uh, it's a bit of a double-edged sword, what he does, uh, in, as he engages in a bit of navel-gazing, navel as you see there, which I'm reliably informed, the word for which is, and if you'd like to take this down, you can note, omphloskepsis. That's true. That means navel-gazing. That was funny when I heard it. <laughs> okay, now look, you may have heard about navel-gazing, and um, uh, in respect to navels, there are two types of belly buttons. There's innies and outies. Uh, now, I, just, I did this yesterday. Can I get a sense of hands up all those who are innies here? See, congratulations, you had a good obstetrician. All this, you know, yes, you did, and your mother. Hands up any outies here? Okay, that's usually about right, about 1%, 1 to 2%. Actually, um, I can tell you that uh, being the father of three children, um, when you're pregnant, and this may be something that you can look forward to, what happens is you might start with an innie, an innie out of pops as you get on through the uh, pregnancy. So it's not fixed, you know, you can move at some point from being an innie to being an outie. Well, given the, uh, given the Corinthians' distortion of values, what's happened is they've generated two groups. They've generated the innies and the outies. The in-group, the innies, who speak in tongues and prophesy, make the grade, they satisfy the criteria and cut it in Corinth. But then there's the outies, the outies who do not have those gifts and do not cut it. And Paul addresses each in turn, applying what is said about the body. First, the outies in verse 15. If the foot would say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear would say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If, if the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? Here's the point. But as it is, verse 18, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many members, yet one body. You can imagine the outies in Corinth feeling rejected, largely because they were and they've got this kind of uncanny feeling that as far as others are concerned, they don't measure up. And so an outy foot gets a little bit, you know, petulant about things. Hands are where all the action is at. They do everything. What use of feet? All we do is smell and develop ingrown toenails. I don't belong. Or the same story from an, from an ear. You know, all I can do is look forward to growing hair and looking gross when I get old. I don't belong. Paul says, that's, that's madness. That's crazy. What a monstrosity if the body was just one big eye, right? You've got to close your eyes and let your imagination go here a bit and just think, one big eye, that's what you are for the moment. One great giant eye, no hearing. This sort of, what you get around by rolling around the place, just looking at stuff. You know, what, what kind of a monster? Or, or maybe we're just a hand, Immobile hand, just sort of crawling around. 
You know what madness is that? As if, as if a body can operate in that manner. No, there are many members, but one body. And you see the basis of it as I highlighted there. God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, just as he chose. Now, I became an outie uh, at the youth fellowship uh, that I've mentioned. I kind of had gone off Indiana Jones style to start a youth group at another church. Uh, I'd been a Christian for a year and thought the time was uh, to go plant a church. Um, and I was duly asked to leave after six months because I'd screwed it up. And I came crawling back to my home church, expecting to be received like the returning hero that I felt myself to be. All my friends in my year had been called to leadership in the youth group of one kind or another. And I was waiting for my call up too. But I never arrived. I wasn't asked to be a leader. And I knew that to cut it, really, you know, cut it, you had to be a leader in that youth fellowship. I didn't belong at that point. I wasn't a hand or an eye. And so my involvement tailed right off. I was slack. I started whinging a lot. I was late to the group and generally a pain in the neck. I was an outie who did the typical outie thing, withdrew and whinged about others and sulked. I want to ask, are there any EU outies here? And to help you recognise yourself, I'll give you a few representative thoughts. Firstly, uh, in your gang, you often talk about the clickiness of them. And in fact, you may well have a group of buddies, which you'd never call a clique, of course, who share the same pastime. You're tempted not to be a part of things unless they get better at welcoming you. You know the faults of the group minutely, having dissected them in enormous detail, often comparing EU to other groups that are much more godly. Or in other words, where you feel more at home, that is, where you're an innie for one reason or another. And as I say, I know what it is to be an outie. In fact, with regard to EU, for my first two years here at uni, I was an outie. And God's word to you this afternoon, God's word to you this afternoon is whether you like it or not, you are in. You are in. And you're in not because you happen to have a gift list that matches the prescribed set. You're in because you're in Christ. You belong to them. And they belong to you and you're stuck together like superglue. The Holy Spirit superglue. The Spirit of God is what you share as you've been lumped together into Christ with all other believers. And so you better not try and distance yourself from them. What's more, if you want to complain about the gifts that you don't have, if you want to get down on yourself because you're not a leader type, if that's your issue, then you may want to think again because in making a complaint, you see, what you're in fact doing is taking on God. You're taking on God. You see, God is the one who has arranged the members of the body, each one of them just as he chose. God has made you exactly the way he wants you to be. The Spirit has allotted to each one individually, just as he chooses. So don't you dare complain. Don't you dare complain. Let me say too, at the age of 19 or 20 or 21, it's probably just fractionally too early to foreclose on what gifts you might have or not have. I mean, I know that basically life's over at 20 and if you're not married by 22, then you're on the shelf and, you know, it's you know, game over. Um, you know... 
you can afford to relax a little bit. It's, it's quite possible that you actually may develop a skill or two once you get past 20. At least I'm hoping so, for my own sake. You see, God's plan of organising the body is a good one. There are just the right numbers of ears and eyes and hands and feet and so on, aren't you? I mean, look at your own body. Each bit is needed. Each bit is needed. And so you are needed if we, the EU, are to function properly. You have a contribution to make, even if it's not the same as others. In fact, precisely because it's not the same as others. Otherwise, the body would just be one giant eyeball. And the key is not to let difference become derogatory. Now, if I can comment, I've been around the EU a few years now, and it seems to me that the point of the divide in the EU is over those who are small group leaders and those who are not. Now, not all people feel this way, and it may be that this represents no trouble to you, and frankly, you don't know what I'm talking about. But I've heard it so many times that those who basically feel like if they're not leaders, if they don't have those gifts, well, then they're not going to be involved. Can I say, that is, that is not the way to go. That is not the way of behaving biblically. Your non-leading part is a part that needs to be played. God has given you whatever gifts you have. And so don't complain about God. Don't complain to God about that. Thank him and get on with making whatever contribution he's given you to make. There's a whole university out there to reach. Let's not quibble about leaders. Okay, secondly, the innies, verses 21 to 26. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. You can see the switch here. It's now talking about others from the inside, not from the outside feeling uh, bad about things. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the members of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And those members of the body that we think less honourable we clothe with greater honour. And our less respectable members are treated with greater respect, whereas our more respectable members do not need this. But God has so arranged the body, giving the greater honour to the inferior member, so that there may be no dissension within the body, but the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together with it. If one member is honoured, all rejoice together with it. Okay, he, he switches from the outies to the innies and mixes the metaphor a bit and pictures an, an, an eye saying to a hand, look, you're useless, useless hand. All you do is waggle on the end of the arm. If you didn't have me, you wouldn't even know what to touch. Hopeless, you know, and so on. And Paul's reply is quite surprising. It's quite surprising. He says, on the contrary, those bits which we think of as less important are actually the most important. Now, I'm going to uh, trespass into medical areas here, which if you know more than me about this, I'd appreciate if you just kept quiet. <laughs> it's, it's, like, it's like your adrenal gland, okay? I asked my wife who's a vet, and uh, so that's where I got this from. Or, or your liver, okay? You, you know nothing about your adrenal gland, do you? I bet you've given it not one single thought this entire week thus far, your adrenal gland. You never paid attention, and frankly, in a fight, it has no way of defending itself. It's useless. It's pathetic. And yet, it turns out to be terribly, terribly, life-shatteringly important. It supplies terribly important hormones and stuff. Or your liver, which you know, cleans up your blood and all that kind of deal. Or again, says the apostle, it's like the genitals. 
In some senses, they're the less presentable parts of our bodies. And yet for that very reason, we take greater care to clothe them and bestow honour upon them. Paul says the same thing as he's been uh, saying throughout, repeating the theme. God has arranged it that way. God has set it up the way it is. And he did so in order that there be no dissension, but that the members may have the same care for one another. All are part of the one body. You know, if you hit your thumb, your right hand thumb, your left hand's not going, yeah, sucked in. <laughs> it just hurts. All of us hurt together. All of us rejoice together. One body, many members. Have you got the point yet? Yes. Thank you. Are there any EU innies here? Let me address you for a moment. I know there are, since when I talk to Audis, it's about you people that they're talking about. A few representative thoughts to help you identify yourselves. You just don't know what all the fuss is about. You simply don't understand what I was talking about a minute ago. You know that EU is a warm, friendly, open group in which, naturally enough, there are friendship networks, but they're open. Of course they're open, anyone can join. But what you do know about is slackers. Slackers, people who aren't commended, whingers who withdraw and complain and who don't appreciate how much work you do and how hard you work and they're unreliable and don't turn up to your meetings and terrible things like that. And you do a lot of work, you see, and it's a satisfying place for you to be in. You're making a contribution that's worthwhile. And if only more people were like you, well, then the EU and the uni, in fact, would be a whole lot better place. You need to hear this word of the Apostle loud and clear. They are in. You might call them slackers, but way ahead of them being slack, they are in. They're part of the same body that you're part of. In fact, in one sense, they are more important than you. You see that, don't you? The less honourable get more honour. And it seems to me that this, this is the way it really works in practice, way down on the ground. This is really the way it works in practice. The way that we as a group handle those who, in one sense, seem to have least to contribute to the group, or those who are particularly needy or troubled or time-consuming, that's one of the tests for us as a group for how we're going. We've got a number of uh, fairly seriously mentally ill people at the congregation that I'm a pastor at. And there's nothing much more important for us as a congregation right now except how we handle and love and serve these least of Jesus' brethren. And notice this is particularly the responsibility of the innies. And when we as a group can express that reality, giving special honour to those who seem least likely, then it seems to me that we're, we're kind of on our way. We're kind of getting close. We're doing what we were talked to uh, what we learned about last week in 1 Corinthians 13. Whatever our giftedness, what matters most is love. Because giftedness without love is nothing. Waste of space. A dead zone. It's interesting, isn't it, that dissension, the question of dissension, is brought up with regard to the innies and not the outies. Did you notice that? Paul could have slammed the outies and said, look, you hopeless people, stop whinging. But he doesn't say that. It's, it's to the innies and their attitude that he speaks. 
about dissension and harmony. So you innies, it is your responsibility. It is your responsibility to make sure that relations in the EU are so ordered that the truth of these verses is expressed. Now, just in case the Corinthians hadn't got it by now, he makes it perfectly clear in verse 27 when he kind of pulls out of the metaphor and uh, comes home. Verse 27, Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, and third teachers, then deeds of power and gifts of healing, forms of assistance, forms of leadership, various kinds of tongues are all apostles. And in the Greek, the uh, way of forming questions so that you can tell what sort of answer is expected uh, is different. And the answer expected here is no. Are all apostles? No. Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? No. But strive, he says, for the greater gifts. He makes the same two points that he's been making all along. Firstly, there is one body, which like practically every body here in this room, has different bits. And secondly, that's precisely the way that God has set it up. He loves this diversity, and therefore it's not the same for everyone. Not all have the same gifts, and that's the way it's meant to be. And he urges them to strive for the greater, or what he's going to call the more useful gifts, which I don't think are the gifts he's mentioned here particularly. They're the ones that he's going to talk about in 1 Corinthians 14 next week. Come back and hear about that. For the moment, just let me take some time to apply this uh, further to us. What are the gifts that we, as an EU, are prone to use as a way of working out who's in and who's not? It kind of varies, doesn't it? Perhaps it's leadership ability. Perhaps it's personal or pastoral charisma, which is often just another way of talking about popularity. Perhaps it's sort of theological now, so you can put 12 words together ending in the you know, ology and make one big sentence out of it. You know, that's, that's your thing. The word of God to us today is that what unites us is the fact that we are all in the same body and that we got into that body by grace because the body is the body of Christ and that in that body, by God's good purpose, everyone has a contribution to make according to their gifts, the way God has arranged it. Outies need to hear that, innies need to hear that, for both, you see, are making the same mistake deciding who really belongs on the basis of something other than their belonging to Christ. What we need here in the EU is a unity that comes out of our, our being in Christ together and a diversity, a breadth of ministries and services and activities and the structures that enable and facilitate and make those things happen. And what can make all that work? Well, the final clause of this chapter says it all. And I will show you a still more excellent way. That's chapter 13. In the end, what can make chapter 12 work is hearts that are shaped by chapter 13. Hearts that are shaped by the love of God. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus Christ, we praise you as the one into whom we have been baptised in the one spirit. We praise you for that gift and we pray that you would so work in us a unity of heart and mind, a unity of faith that we can cope with and express the reality of a diversity of gifts and that you'd be pleased to work through us to reach this campus with your love and grace. And it's for your own great name's sake we pray it. Amen.
Thank you, Andrew. Uh, Andrew will be around uh, after, down at afternoon tea or around here down the front if you have any questions to ask him. Uh, can I, as we close, can I just remind you once again to fill in those comment cards uh, because we love to hear feedback and because it's a great thing to hear from. Uh, can I remind you also to register for Club Veg and also to join, and NTA, and also to draw your attention to these yellow forms which you'll find in your handouts. Um, you can read about it, but basically it gives you the opportunity to study as one of your university subjects, uh, a topic in, in Christian studies here, uh, at which Andrew Cade will probably be teaching you. Uh, so that's a possibility that you can read about there. But until then, I'll see you all out at afternoon tea.